0: Amen. He is indeed risen from the dead. Amen. This morning, it's a great pleasure to bring the Word of the Lord before you. And I like that line that says, through the Spirit who clothes faith with certainty, He gives us the certainty that He is indeed risen from the dead. And that is such a magnificent... And wonderful truth that God can instill within us that we can know, that we can know, that we can know that He is real and that He loves us and and seeks to see us saved. This morning, if you would direct your attention to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, our verses this morning is verses 1 through 4. This is a call to prayer. This is a call to prayer. This past election has raised a few concerns. A few concerns for the church itself. Christ's church, all over the world, even all over the world. And I have seen concerns. And our now elected president is not the most popular person. Under the umbrella of those who call themselves evangelical or Christian. Now due to the prevalent influence of the, internet, of the internet like never before in history. We are able to see how the body of Christ posts their fillings on the internet for all the world to see. We get... A glimpse into the minds and thoughts of people across the world like never before via the internet, the social media forums, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. The list goes on and on. Today, for us, the, maybe the generation before us, it would be the phone call. The phone call we pick up would be the, the technology that we would use to purvey our voice. And there are some of the things that concern me as I begin to read posts all over the internet. And there are some things I want to express to the church this morning. Some things that I've seen within the body of Christ, at least across the internet and social media. Some things I want us to remember this morning. No matter what happens in this country, no matter who our leader is, there's a few things I want you to remember. Number one, remember who you are in Christ. Remember who you are in Christ Jesus. Our identity is not within our nationality, is it is with Christ. We're Americans, yes. We love America, yes. Our identity is with Christ first and foremost. Now just because the person that we voted for didn't get in office doesn't negate the fact that our identity is still in Christ. Doesn't take away the idea that we are still in Christ Jesus. What I'm going to purvey to the church this morning might be something that you might not be expecting, but from biblical terms, it's taken straight from Scripture. Just because that person that we voted for didn't get in office doesn't mean that one man... Is going to ruin a hundred years of sovereignty. If it is, then we deserve it to be ruined. Because America has lost its common sense, it would seem. If we would allow one man to ruin a hundred years of liberty and freedom, then we have lost our minds as America that by some chance this nation does get turned up on its head and loses some type of sovereignty, God promised that He would never leave us and that He would never forsake us. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember your identity in Christ. The Great Commission, chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus says this to His disciples before He left this earth. He said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? To me, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, he says. Verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 20, Teaching them all that you should observe. I have all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, to, in the, even at the end of the age. He gives them a promise that over in Hebrews picks up. He says, no, I will never leave you. In the Greek is a double negative, which we don't do in English. No, I will no, no, never leave you or no, I will never leave you or forsake you. That promise is set in stone. Your identity, remember who you are in Christ. Our identity is in with Christ. It is not with our nation. Do not let the way of the world scare you into unbelief. Just because we might see circumstances going toward another way. Don't let the way of the world scare you in disbelief. Hold your identity with Christ. And what I mean by disbelief is distrust. We have it easy compared to the first century church. We have it comparatively easy. When they and all intents of purposes have said that Jesus had left us here to fend for ourselves... And yet we see by persecution, God grew the church. By the scattering, God grew the church. Now, as we would say, do not let the way of the world scare you into disbelief. Your circumstances somehow make you distrust God anymore. No. You either have three people in the world, at least who are Christ followers. You either have the one who who, who abandons God altogether, does not trust God altogether. You have two the person who might sit on the fence and you have the third type of person who clings to Christ even more no matter what is going on around him. I want to be that third person. I want to be that third person that clings to Christ no matter what happens in the world. If for some reason somebody would come in and kick the door back, right, right in on us and say, you recant, I will stand hopefully by God's grace resolute because He has gave me the boldness to do so. In these trying times, if I was to say to you, trust in the Lord... Trust in the Lord. How easy is that to say? Let's try saying it. Trust in the Lord. Isn't it fairly easy to say that, right? But where the rubber meets the road, it's not so easy to uphold unless you have been given God-given faith. It's a bit harder to cling when there are pressing times. It's a bit harder to, when it seems that our economy is on a slippery, a slippery slope and we are soon following it. It's harder to cling to trust in the Lord These are phrases that would press the faith of the church. It presses in on the faith of us as Christ followers to trust in God even more. Thirdly, this is very important for us. What we write, what we say, what we do needs to be seasoned with the gospel. What we write, what we say, what we do needs to be seasoned with the gospel. Meaning... If you have a disagreement over some political alignment or coalition, you address them articulately like you have some sense. I would say I hope I would have enough sense to say to a person, if I don't believe politically, that look, in the back of my mind, I'm looking at this person saying, this is a person who might not be saved, and they need to hear the gospel first and foremost. We articulate it with seasoned with the gospel. This is exactly what Paul does. It's exactly what Paul... Express yourself and your beliefs. But do so with the intentions of sharing Christ. This isn't to win somebody over to your way of thinking. I am not trying to win you over to my way of thinking. I am not the purveyor of truth. I don't have a stand up here and says, This is my truth. Take it or leave it. I'm not the purveyor of truth. I don't, I'm not the one who originates the truth. The truth belongs to, to God. Always, here's a very important but from this point here. Because the way we talk, the way we speak, the way we write, even about those in office that we might not be lined up with, we might not agree with everything. I don't agree with everything. But always leave the door open to share the good news. That's the point. Always leave the door open to share the good news. This is the idea that Paul is writing at the very beginning of this. This is what is ingrained within the text here, starting with chapter 2. Pray for all people, he would say. And what I would also say would be a man or a woman that is known by their character to be an actual representative of Christ, not a potential. What I mean is just don't be lip service. Just don't perform lip service. What, say what you mean, mean what you say, and stand for Christ. If you're going to stand for Christ, be, uh, be on fire for Him. We, we, there is no room for middle ground these days. There is no room to be a cultural Christian. We we need to stand for something. We need to stand for Christ. And when you do so, be a person that is known by their character, not just by lip service. In other words, don't be a hypocrite. In other words, don't be a hypocrite. Don't live a lifestyle of hypocrisy. Now, I read a lot of response from different mediums, from different chat rooms, Facebook, so forth, uh, online blogs and so forth what people are saying about this past election I've read some of the comments and I actually jotted a few of them down to show you just kind of what, what people is going through people's mind after this past election Iran will bomb Israel and World War 3 will ensue so automatically from electing our, pre, our current president we're going to go to automatically World War III. where we get that jump and that stretch is far beyond me but this is going through some people's mind. America will lose its freedom. You know, I have heard America will lose its freedom since the days of George Bush Sr. As far as I can remember, probably before that. I remember saying this a long, long time ago. America's going to lose its freedom because of this president. You know how many times I have heard that phrase? America's going to lose its freedom because we elected the wrong man in the office. There's also this phrase, Obama is the Antichrist. I've heard that one. Now, I can articulate all day long why Obama is not the Antichrist. And that's beside the point. This is what is going on in people's minds today. That would say Obama is the Antichrist. Now, I come across an interesting quote when it speaks of who we are in this political forum today, who we are in the body of Christ. And it says this, destiny is determined by our choices, our chances are, are absolutely negated. And the phrase goes like this, Destiny is determined not by chances, but by choices. Once the game is over, the king and the pawn go back into the same box. The king and the pawn go back into the same box. What is Paul going to write today for us? He writes this to the church. He writes this to Timothy. He gives a letter to Timothy. And I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get into the meaning of the the text, and see how this is going to affect us today, 2012, in the United States of America. Let's pray. Father, thank You for our time together. We ask You, Father, that You would speak to us, speak to our hearts and minds, instill wisdom, instill godly wisdom by Your Word, and I ask You that Your Holy Spirit would do a good work today. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, I want us to see this. Have care and concern for all people. Have care and concern for all people. Us as Christ followers are called to do that. We are not elitist. We are not discriminatory in who we purvey the gospel to. We are not to be an elite society of snob-nosed people walking around giving the gospel who we think are fit to get it. Chapter 2, verse 1 says this. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayer, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Now, this verse, this what Paul is writing, has at its core the gospel itself. The underpinning of these verses that that come forward from this point on, Paul has as its underpinning the gospel that Jesus saves. You cannot make these things for people. You cannot offer a prayer for your enemy. You cannot offer a prayer for someone that you are in opposition to without clearly understanding the underpinning to what it is all about and it is all about that Jesus saved. You can't pray for your enemy unless you understand the gospel. You can't pray for those who will persecute and use you unless you clearly understand the gospel. You can't turn the other cheek unless you understand the gospel. You think it's easy for someone to crack you upside the head and you turn the other cheek? Try it. Where is the weakness that lies? Is the weakness in somebody that turns the other cheek or is the weakness in somebody that retaliates? The weakness is in the one that retaliates. It gets nothing done, it's a vicious circle. What I'm saying is this you cannot make these things for people unless you have a correct understanding that Jesus saves. It changes your perspective of how you look at people. It changes the way you talk with people. It changes the way you fashion. The way, it just changes the way you act around people. You begin to talk to people and you begin to ask this question. Does he know Christ? You begin to ask this question. What do I do to purvey the truth of Christ to this person? Do I beat him over the head with it? Or do I actively engage in some type of stepping stone, common ground in a way? And Paul is going to say this, that there is to be supplication, prayer, intercession, and thanksgiving for all people. So I might say something like this. Petition, a prayer, an honest prayer, a request for our leaders. He's going to go to our leaders and our kings. A supplication, a prayer. He might say intercession. This is the verb that falls within. It says that you are in a conversely a conversation with a person with familiarity and you are lining them, yourself up with them looking for, number one, a relationship. You're gaining relationship with the person you're praying for. So not only are you praying, but you're seeking an intercession or a supplication. And prayer in this case would be a one that is offered up in prayer. An earnest prayer. A heartfelt prayer. You're pouring your heart out before God saying, Lord, do something with this nation. You're praying, Lord, do something with our leaders. You're praying in earnestness. Lord, pr- please, worshiping God at the same time you're praying for your leaders. That is not something that is new to the text, I might add. And then we have thanksgiving, where we get our word Eucharist from. Where we get the, our Lord's Supper. Thanksgiving, Eucharist. You see in the middle of there, charis, which would be what grace or gratitude. A gratitude in actually being grateful to God for all people, which is an act of worship. Thank you for our president, for whatever reason it may be, Whatever goodness you can find, Lord, whatever you can do, we we, we pray and we trust that you would do so. Paul ends this, he says, for all people. For all people. This is not selective language. This is not discriminatory language. This is not elitism language. This is a language that looks to what Jesus says that for whosoever will, will call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. This is not language that says we are to be selective. We can't look at a person and say, He's too far gone. We can't look at our president or any leader or anyone in the church and say, They're too far gone. There's no reason to pray for them. He won't, he's not going to save them. Quite, quite honestly, we don't know what God is going to do. And it's the type of person that, is, that we look at and says There's no help in Him. is the exact same one that God will go after. <laughs> he went after me. I'm a, testif- I'm a testament to that. The same one where we would say has no no hope is the same one that God will save and give glory to Himself. John Gill once wrote on this very idea here. He said, as far as prayer, supplication, and intercession, he writes this, not only for the saints, but for all the churches of Christ and ministers of the gospel. He goes on, not only for the near relations and friends according to the flesh, but for all inhabitants of the country and the city from which men dwell. Not only are all these things offered up for those folks, but also according to to peace and prosperity of which are to be prayed for. Yea, for enemies. Pray for your enemies. That's not a new thought. That's in the Scripture. Pray for your enemies. And such as reproach, persecute those... Pray for those who despitefully use you. Pray for those who despitefully use the saints. Even for all sorts of men, Jews, Gentile, rich, poor, high, low, bond and free, good men and bad men. Paul, for good reason here, exhorts the church to pray and be thankful for all people. So you might ask you a question, why? Why would I pray for a leader who, has, who is going to put America down into the ditches? Uh, how much of an oxymoron would it be to not pray for that leader? Say so I'm not praying for him anymore, and just let America go on a slippy slope, slippery slope, and not bring people in his life that could actually change his mind. Lord, bring people in his path They can actually get him on uh, on track. I'm not saying that our president is off track. I'm not saying, but we. What, what, what Paul is saying, at least, from what is in the minds of people around the world, is that our president is going to run the nation into the dirt. Whether he is or not, it's beside the point We are called to do a certain thing. For the sake of the gospel, if you want people to take your message seriously, to be authentic. If you want people to take your message seriously, be open to at least listen. If you want people to take your message seriously, show them the love of Christ and not the disdain of the world. Show them the love of Christ and not the disdain of the world. You might have a disagreement of how the country is run. That's good. That's 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 fair. All I was saying is, watch how you articulate it. Watch how we use our words and use our words wisely. I had a I had a person give me a compliment, probably one of the best compliments I've ever had in my life, and he didn't even know it. He said, "You guard your words so you guard your words so uh, tightly. You guard what you say very tight." And he was kind of meaning an insulting way, but I took it as a compliment. I think, I said, "Thank you." Thank you. I took it as a compliment. Number two, praying for our leaders opens the door for the gospel. This is, what the, this is the heart of Paul's message. Paul understood what it meant when Jesus said, Go make disciples of the nations. He understood what is in Acts 1a. Go to the uttermost parts of the world. You can't go to the uttermost parts of the world if you're looked at as a hateful Christ follower. You can't go to the uttermost parts of the world when the, when the world looks at you and says you're a, a Bible-beating, hateful bigot. Who in the world wants to be labeled as that? We want to be people who, as Paul says here, loves all people. We purvey the gospel to whosoever will. We let God do the saving. We let God do the cleaning. We let God do the changing. We are just the purveyors of this message. You can't go to the ends of the earth with a stigma on you that you are some Neanderthal Bible-beating person who's beating somebody over the head and said "You you either turn or you burn. That isn't even the message of Christ. The message of Christ, it isn't even turn or burn. It is a beckoning call away from that. It is a lighthouse away from the dangers. Praying for our leaders opens the door for the gospel. Starting in verse 2, it says this For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And as it, it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 2, Paul is instructing Timothy to pray for his leaders and those that are over him. Now this would have included Nero at the time, who was known for setting the city on fire. And blaming the Christians. And he would say, See, it is because we left the old way of Rome behind and followed Christianity that the city is now burning. When he had, in fact, done it himself. Nero was known for persecuting. He would sew a Christ follower up in a, in a sack and send him out in the wilderness and set the wild beast on them. He was also known to cover the Christ follower in wax and put him in his garden and burn and light the way. So even as Paul is writing this, you understand that Paul would be telling him to pray for Nero as well. And Domitian and Decius with the great persecutions came on the scene, dragging people literally out their house, taking their land and killing them. And Paul would be saying, pray for this. This is the kind of prayer that makes the world scratch their head and say, why in the world are they praying for them? Why in the world are they doing good for them? They don't deserve it. Why in the world? This isn't the idea of the superman, this is the idea of the God-man in Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus compels us to do. And there is strength and power in that. There is strength and power in that testimony. That's not weak. That's power. Paul's intentions are for the disciples of Christ to exhibit the gospel even among the pagans. Those who believe in other gods and have all these other gods on the shelf. We are to be distinct. We are to be different. But we are to be a, we are to be a people with integrity. That when we speak, people will listen. So their lives can be free from turmoil. He says so we can have a peaceful and quiet life. And although later on they will not have a peaceful life. Because a great persecution is coming upon them. Uh, the city of Jerusalem is going to be sacked in 70 AD. And the temple is going to be laid to the ground. But Paul would still say you pray for those, those leaders. Matter of fact King Agrippa II said to Paul. You have almost convinced me to be a Christian. And he was a pagan. When we would call a pagan he would say you almost convinced me. So Paul had a good repertoire, I guess. You can have a good uh, testimony even amongst the pagan nations. And this is what Paul would say is that at the heart of this is is the good news. We want to live a peaceful life because we want to share the good news. You want to see what the heart of Paul is? You look at his missionary journeys, at least four. He had a heart for missions. He had a heart for the nations. He had a heart to tell people about the sheer fact that Jesus is in the saving business. That Jesus seeks to save. And that's what was on Paul's lips the whole time. That was undergirded, the pray for all people. He wanted to see people know Jesus. No matter what they looked like, no matter how they dealt in life, this is what Paul was conveying. Paul is he's covering the whole spectrum of authorities here. He's covering them all. Now, Timothy is not to pray for, just to pray for his leaders just because it is a good thing to do. He isn't to pray for his leaders just because it's, you know, just pray for them at some whim because it seems to be good. There is reasoning behind it. Paul was a missionary at heart. This is what he did. The gospel is a catalyst. The good news that Christ rose again from the dead is His catalyst. The foundation and cornerstone that Paul writes in, 2nd, in 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is His catalyst for His gospel. The one thing that can perpetually change the heart of a government, the thing that can perpetually change the heart of a government is Jesus Christ. Again, I want us to see this. If you want to change the heart of the government, if you want to change the heart of a kingdom or any established government at all, you change the heart of the people. And the only reality that has lasting and perpetual effects is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to change the nations, you change the heart of the people. And the only way to do that is purvey the gospel to the world. Imagine if we had, imagine this, if we had ingrained in our vocabulary, if we had innately within us in our vocabulary the notions of biblical truth to pray continually for our leaders and those in office. It would bypass a lot of the negativity that we seem to find. Those governing, Pray for those governing our country and our county even. And for the man on the street. Imagine what we could express for the kingdom with that mentality that is always ingrained within us to pray for those in leaders. When was the last time you prayed for our nation? When was the last time you prayed for our president? When was the last time you prayed for those leaders around the world that they would make good and godly choices? In the last ten days last five days I know last Wednesday at least we prayed here but think about that when's the last time you prayed for our leadership in this world instead of bashing our leaders and our dignitaries friends we pray for them love on them the best that we can and be thankful for them whatever we can be thankful for them about whatever goodness we can be found in it, we thank God for them Back home I had a pastor a mentor who used to tell him a story about his father. And his father always found the good in people. He could look at a man on death row and say, "You know, well this man on death row, he was a serial killer. And his father would say, well you know what, at least he has a good pair of shoes. Look at those shoes and nice shoes. He always had something good to say about somebody. And I think that is at the core of being seasoned with the gospel. Not just have something good to say about somebody, but use the goodness to say about people so a springboard into a good gospel-centered conversation. You might say this, I will never pray for our president. I will never pray for that man in office. Or he isn't my president, I didn't vote for him. But remember this, without the grace of God, we would never, we would have never come to Christ. Without the, grace of, the God, uh, grace of God on us, we would be probably in the same liberal mindset. We would be in the mindset of anyone else in the world who has disdain for the authority and the authenticity of the Scriptures. We would, before the grace of God, if God had not shed good faith and given us the measure of faith in our life, we would have been lost. I say we need to pray for our leaders. And this is what Paul is saying. And by the grace of God, you live in a nation, I live in a nation, where men and women still have the right to vote and express their opinion. In a multitude of forums and a multitude of opportunities. This is what Paul is saying. We have the freedom to express ourselves. And what I am saying for us this morning, express yourself. Get in the forum. Get in the public square. But do so with articulation. Do so like we love Jesus. Do so like we love our neighbor as ourselves. And to get in the world system today and talk with people, you're going you're to talk about politics. But do so expressing ourselves that we want to see people saved, even our, even our leaders. These are, as Paul would say, these multiplicity of forums and, and, and ways to express yourself Paul would say these are, modern, these are just avenues for the gospel. These are just avenues for the good news to go forward. These are just avenues today that express that Jesus saves. What does he say for them? He saves from the, the final lasting effects of sin that would eternally separate you from God. And Paul would say these are the avenues that we use today. Show those around you that you really know truth. It's not arrogant because it's not a truth that generates from me. It's not arrogant to say that I know truth because it is God that pervades the truth and not me. I'm not the holder or handler of truth. It comes from God. I'm saying I'm totally contingent on the self-revelator to give me truth. I'm totally reliant on Him to give me the truth. And not that you simply believe in Jesus we don't just simply believe, but that we trust and that we submit. But that you know that Christ's death and His resurrection was sufficient for all. This is the truth you know. This is the truth that Paul is conveying to Timothy. You need to watch what you say, watch what you do, pray for your leaders so you can tell them about this resurrected Lord that we serve. In his autobiography, entitled Just As I Am, Billy Graham tells of a conversation he had uh, with, uh, with JFK. Tell us a little story he had with John F. Kennedy. He had a conversation with JFK uh, shortly after his election, and I'm going to read you a little bit of excerpt from the book. He says this, On the way back to the Kennedy House, the president-elect stopped the car and turned to me. Do you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ, he asked? I most certainly do. Well, my church does. They have it in their creeds." They don't preach it, he said. They don't tell us much about it. I'd like to know what you think. JFK turning to Billy Graham asking about the coming second coming of the Lord Jesus. I examined what the Bible said about Christ's coming in the first time, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, and then promising that He would come back again. Only then, I said, are we going to have a permanent world peace. We aren't promised world peace. We won't be peace until the Prince of Peace comes. Billy Graham goes on to write, very interesting, he said, looking away. We'll have to talk more about it someday. And he drove off. Now, several years later had passed by, 1963, a national prayer breakfast was going on in the White House. And again, Billy Graham and JFK met up again in 1963. And Billy Graham says, I had the flu, Graham remembers, after I gave my short talk. And he gave his. We walked out of the hotel, and he got in his car. And was always our custom. At the curb, he turned to me and he said, Billy, could you ride back to the White House with me? Now, Billy having the flu said, I'd like to see you for a minute, Mr. President, but I've got the flu. Now, I'm only weak and I, want to give you, I don't want to give you this flu. I don't want to give you this thing. And he says, could we wait and talk some other time? And it was a snowy and cold day and I was freezing and I stood there with my overcoat on. He said, of course, JFK said, very graciously. Now what do you think happened between that time period where he put off talking with with the President? What do you think happened between that time period? The two would never meet again. Later that year, Kennedy was shot dead. And Graham comments, he says this, his hesitation at that car door to get in with, with President Kennedy, his hesitation at that car door And his request still haunt me, he says. Billy Graham just turned 95. Imagine if he still was holding on to these ideas. They still haunt me, he said. What was on his mind? Should I have gone with him? It is and is was an irrecoverable moment. He couldn't go back back in time and get that time back. What did Billy explain to us? And what did Billy show to us? That he had a little bit of of, of respect with the presidents of the United States. Because he was seasoned with the gospel. Because Billy Graham knew how to uh, evangelize. He knew that he looked at everyone in the same lens that they need saving. Always have on your mind who needs to hear about Christ today. Always be intentional about sharing your faith with the world. Better even yet than that. Ask this question, who needs to see Jesus today? And what I mean by that is, do they see Jesus through you? The way you talk, the way you speak, the way you act. Do they see Jesus working through you? The last point I'm going to make, and I'm going to close on this, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the truth and to the knowledge of the truth. This is what it's all about. God seeks, he's 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 a God of salvation. He seeks to save. The problem is, We have put up our blinders and our walls and we have blocked him out. Let's pray.